Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to start reading at verse 9, but let me just give you the background for this. Remember, this is the last chapter, the last thing that the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to give to these Messianic Jews, these believing Jews who believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the last words that he's going to be telling them before a great persecution is going to arise for them. And so I want you to to really think about this and what this might mean uh, in the context that this is the last words as he's sending them off into into a time of great persecution. He says in verse 9, Do not be carried away away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. We talked a little bit about this the last time I taught on on Hebrews 13, but I want to go through this again. In Hebrews 13, verse 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. I want to read a portion to you out of uh, uh, Eric Metaxas's book on uh, uh, William Wilberforce, but he's talking about, about, uh, um, about George Whitfield. I mentioned this a little bit last week, but let me read you this portion. I want you to listen really carefully. It is worth dilating for a moment on George Whitfield and the state of the Christian faith in England in the middle of the 18th century. Since the time of the Puritans and the religious wars of the previous century, England had decidedly turned its back on any expression of what we might call serious Christian belief. Having led to so much division and violence, religion was now in full-scale retreat. The churches of the mid-18th century England all but abandoned orthodox historical Christianity and now preached a tepid kind of moralism that seemed to present civility and the preservation of the status quo as a summum bonum, which means the highest ethical order. And so, understandably, people looked less and less to the churches for the ultimate answers to their questions, and the fog of hopelessness and brutal superstition uh, crept over the land. The poor, as is ever the case, would suffer the most from these challenges in Britain's religious atmosphere. But three young men arrived at Oxford University in the 1730s, who soon changed things rather dramatically. John Wesley and his brother Charles were two of the three. They formed a small group called the Holy Club, whose members prayed fervently and conspicuously. They were soon mocked as Methodist because students thought they were too methodical about how they spent their time. George Whitfield, the third of the trio, soon came to Oxford and joined them. And after a few years, something surprising occurred. All of the trio's fussy doctrines and white-knuckled efforts to be holy and moral melted away when Whitfield came to the realization that would have far-reaching effect. He saw that the Bible didn't teach that we must work harder at becoming perfect and holy, but we must instead throw ourselves on God's mercy. Moral perfection wasn't the answer, 
Jesus was the answer. Jesus had been morally perfect, and we weren't supposed to save ourselves. We were supposed to ask him to save us. No less than discovering electricity or splitting the atom, this theological about-face was the beginning of a revolution. When Whitfield began to preach this new revelation, people came running to hear. No one had heard anything like it, and soon thousands were coming from near and far to hear him. He was just 22 years old at the time. Shocking the starched theological establishment of his day, Whitfield even began preaching in the open fields so that more people could hear him, and crowds approaching 30,000 people would gather. The phenomenon that was George Whitfield is scarcely conceivable by modern minds. Lives by the thousands were changed all across England. Bitter miners wept and sang, and nasty fishwives leapt for joy. No one had ever told these poor people what this man, with a voice like a trumpet, was telling them. But it was as if they were hearing something that they had always known was true, but had forgotten. Their previous experience with religion was nothing like this. They had exchanged cod liver oil for sunshine and would never be the same. Whitfield touched down across England like a tornado, and what was left in his wake was unrecognizable from what had been there before. After he had thoroughly scrambled the English countryside and given hope and joy and meaning to the miserable poor who came to hear him, he hopped on board a ship like a fugitive and took his egregious troublemaking to the American colonies and then returned to England. In his lifetime, Whitfield would cross the Atlantic 13 times. What he did in England, he did in, in the colonies in, the Amer in America. 13 times, and we're talking in the mid-1700s, 22 years old, about the same age as many of you. What he came to the realization of, he along with the Wesley brothers, is that they could not make themselves holy. They had to rely on Jesus. This is what I want us to think about this day. Because it says in Hebrews 13, verse 9, he says, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It is not by foods, not by varied and strange teachings. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. What is grace? Grace is the ability, that God-given ability, to do the will of God. So it's, it's summarized in Philippians 2.13. It says, It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work. In other words, God places within us the will to follow Him, and the will to work for Him. It is God who is at work, work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Grace is the God-given power and the desire to do the will of God. It is God's grace God's grace upon us that gives us the power to do the will of God. Let's look in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to start reading at verse 18. Colossians 2, 18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels taking his stand on visions as he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. 
So he says, there is a deception. He says, let no one keep defrauding you. If we think that we can follow God on our own power and somehow bring morality into our own lives, we're going to be sorely mistaken. He says, it's a fraud. Someone keeps defrauding us if there's something that he thinks delighting in self-abasement. He says in verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. He says, we need to hold fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth with, which is from God. He says the whole thing is holding fast to Jesus. Everything that we have the ability to do comes through Christ. Everything is in Jesus. Everything is in Jesus. It is a relationship with Christ that brings this grace that was talked about in the book of Hebrews. It is good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. This presence of Jesus Christ, these three young men, the two Wesley brothers and Whitfield came to the understanding that it was solely in Jesus that they'd be able to walk with right morality. Solely in Jesus that they'd be able to do this. He says, people are defrauding us making us think that somehow we can get our own morality rather than holding fast to the head. That's Jesus Christ. We hold fast to Him. Verse 20 in Colossians chapter 2. If you died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use? in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. The beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is that we are freed. We are freed from all of these rules and regulations. If you count up the laws in the laws of Moses, there's 613 commandments in the laws of Moses. So Moses himself decreed 613 commandments. The 10 commandments are 10 of that 613. In addition to that, there were all these laws, these other laws around that, uh, uh, that were, were, were the rabbinic laws, that around each one of those 613, there could be many, sometimes even hundreds of additional rules that were put upon these people. So that you go to even Israel today, and you talk to Orthodox Jews and they got so many rules and regulations they could follow. No, you can't, you can't use that elevator because you can't push the button. But if the elevator door happens to open, to, you can get in the elevator and use the elevator. But they can't ask a Gentile to push the button for them. But if someone should push the button, they could get in. I mean, lots of different rules. I mean, that, we're talking about this is the level of rules and they can do this and not do that. So straddled in with rules that when I talk to Orthodox Jews, they say, they've said to me, several of them have said to me, we wish we had what you have. You can just read the scriptures and enjoy it. We have to say all these prayers and do all of these things every day. We get no time to just enjoy the scriptures. Jesus calls us to something different. He calls us to something that's so much better. Look in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus distills the whole thing down to this. Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. Matthew 22, verse 35. One of them, a lawyer, a religious scholar, asked him a question, testing him. 
Matthew 22, verse 35. Now verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus brought the whole thing down to this. He says you are to love God and you're to love your fellow man and you'll be okay. He brings the whole thing back to love. Brings it all back to love. It's all about love. Love of God and love of fellow man. If you do that, you will be all right. If you have that type of relationship. Let me tell you a story. I have a, a granddaughter, my youngest granddaughter. So both my granddaughters are quite affectionate. The younger one, who's four years old, is especially affectionate toward me. She will not let go of my hand when we are together. She's constantly holding, holding my hand. She'll run up and just grab my hand and hold her two hands, my one hand, and just hold it. How do you think that makes me feel? When she takes a nap, she always invites me to take a nap with her. And I'm glad to do it. And, and uh, um, I have this picture because my daughter took a picture of me last week with her. And I was taking a nap next to her and she was, had her hand reached across holding my hand, which was on my chest, holding on to my thumb. I mean, this girl is so affectionate. And so when I am with her, if she says, Papa, could I have ice cream? I say, you can have all the ice cream that you want. All of it. Any kind you want, all of it. And I said, and you can have all the pizza you want. Everything. What else would you like? Would you like some makeup? We go get you some makeup. What would you like? We can get you. Why am I like this with her? Because that girl just floods me with love. If, if, I'm, if I'm there, she, if I'm sitting on the couch, she's going to come and sit right on my lap. And I read her any book that she brings to me. I tell her, well, don't bring me the Hebrew books or the, or, or the Arabic books. I can't read those. It has to be English. And I'll read those to you. But anything I will do for this girl. Because she loves me so much. And there's all this affection. There's another little girl, not my other granddaughter... She's affectionate, not as affectionate as the little one, but there's another little girl that I've been trying to get to know. And for two years, I've been trying to get to know this little girl. And every time I go to walk up to her to talk with her, she, and she runs away to her mother. And I'm like, and, and, I, and I try to win her affection and, and I'll bring her something and she'll just look at me and run away. Or if she's watching her iPad, I'll just come up and just kind of move next to her and she puts it down and runs away. I'm like, Wow. I never get a chance to offer her all the ice cream that she wants. She's kept herself aloof from me, so there's very little fellowship with me. And, and I told this girl's mother, I said, you know, every little girl likes me, except this little girl, and I'm trying so hard to get to know her. And, uh, but there's a lack of affection there, so she doesn't get as much from me. Because she's just not there. It is just like this with God. He said in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 9, your heart is to be strengthened through grace. What is grace? It's God's ability to give us 
the will of God to seek His face and to do His will. It comes through fellowship with God. Jesus said the whole thing. You want commandments? Here it is. Love God with everything you got. And love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> Look in, in, uh, uh, in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus re- reiterates this same, this same thing. John chapter 15. We're going to start reading it at verse, <clears throat> verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is what Jesus says. He says, just like the Father loves me, you think God, the Father loves me? Just like He loves me, I love you. Now abide in my love. I've got so much love for you. Abide in my love. It is not this fighting for morality that we're going to be really moral. I think I'm going to be moral. I'm going to start doing what's right. If we spend time with God, spend time in the presence of Jesus Christ, you start changing your life. You don't want to disappoint Him. My granddaughter, my four-year-old, acts differently in front of me than when I'm not around. I see how hard a time she can give her mother sometimes, my daughter. But as soon as I come in the room... She, she changes her attitude. She doesn't want me to see some of the things that she might say to her mother or say to her sister when I'm there. Because she, she wants to please me. And uh, um, it says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Just be there in my love. It comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. As believers, everything revolves around Jesus Christ. Here's our model. Here's our hope. He is the one that God the Father has put before us and said, come to me through him. Everything is in Jesus Christ for the believer. He says, just as my Father has loved me, I've loved you also. Abide in my love. Just come into the fellowship of my love. You spend time with God, morality changes. You spend time with God, attitudes change. Because... You don't want to disappoint Him. That's, a, well, that's what it's about. I don't want to disappoint my God. It's not, hey, what can I get away with? God sees everything. I don't want to disappoint Him. It's not this, this as Metaxas explained, this white-knuckled, I'm going to be good. They never burst forth. When they gave that up and said, I am just going to enjoy Jesus, boom, the whole world opened to Whitfield in his preaching, and to the two Wesley brothers. Three students, same age as you guys. The world just opened before them through relationship with Jesus Christ. It all comes through love. He says in verse 10 of John chapter 15, If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Why does he tell us that? Because sometimes love is a nebulous thing. What do you mean, abide in your love? What does that mean? He said, well... You keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. In other words, the two go together. You stay abiding in me, you'll be in my commandments. And then he says in verse verse, uh, 11, These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Your life will never be joyful if you try to live this thing on your own. You know, life can be like a serpent. that it, It'll bite you every week. 
something will happen. Depression will fill your heart. And if not every week, every day. Until we exchange our lives for His. Lord, I live for You. It is not about me anymore. I live for You. And then there's this tremendous freedom in life. Tremendous freedom if it is all about making me and myself happy. I will never be happy. He says, if you want, he says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. How do we get our joy full? How do you free, how do you get free of this constant depression which just, just plagues the heart of men and women? How is it? Is it by accumulating things? If that were the case, then everybody who's really rich living in Hollywood would just have great joy in their lives. But they're far from it. We know when they get married that within six months they're going to get divorced. I mean, it's just like clockwork. He says, if you do this, if you abide in my love, in other words, I substitute myself for you. Lord, this is all about you. My life is for your life. He says, you are to be strengthened by grace. It is not these other things that you'll find strength in. It is to be strengthened by grace. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, it goes so far as to say, you who are seeking to be justified by the law, by doing all sorts of good things, you have fallen from grace. If we are trying to do this, Lord, I'm just going to be good today. I'm going to be good. You won't be good. You just wake up in the morning and enjoy Jesus Christ. It is all around Him. You love God. Love God with everything within you. You learn how to spend time with Him. Pick up the Word of God. I know no better way. He says, don't be tossed about. Don't let anybody deceive you with all these visions and speculations of things. You know, if you spend, try to draw close to God without being parameterized by the Scriptures, without being held in check by the Scriptures, you can think all sorts of things. You know, and all sorts of strange visions can surround you. Not that all visions are evil, but you can fall into all sorts of stuff because our minds can be really creative. Their minds can make up all sorts of things that may or may not be of the Lord. But if you get this thing where the Scriptures be our guide, where you take a passage of Scripture and begin to read it and say, Lord, speak to me through this passage. Lord, what does it mean? You say, you say if you... You said, you say to me, just as the Father has loved you, loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Lord, what does it mean to abide in your love? Lord, shower me with your love. Shower me with your love. And then watch and see what the Lord does. Watch and see what he does. If you learn to meditate on the word of God. It is, you will see a breakthrough in your life if you learn to take the Word of God, make this your meditation, say, Lord, this is all about you. It is all about you. I love you and I honor you. You go and you hold His hand every day and He showers you with all sorts of things. I am a man most blessed. I really am. I have so many different projects. I don't know why we are so blessed. You could talk to people in my group. I mean, just one thing after another, we are blessed. Because I have a father that I look to, a papa, an abba that I look to. And he says, you want ice cream? You can have all the ice cream you want. You can have all the pizza you want. Everything. 
if I spend time with Him, there is this great joy, this great presence. You say, oh, well, you've never really experienced hardship. You How do you know what I've been through? How do you know? How do you know what people have been through? You don't know that. But what you see is what God has so blessed me with. I have the same struggles you do. The same pains that you do. You know, life, life isn't, isn't, you know, life deals blows to everyone. But when we take our lives and substitute it for Him, you're feeling down, you're feeling miserable, say, Lord, take my life and let me live for you. Let me just live for you. The whole thing changes when you learn to substitute your life for His life. You don't live for yourself anymore. You live for Him who's given Himself for you. You live for Him, everything changes. This is why He said, love God and abide in my love. In other words, just there's showers of love here. Abide in it. But He doesn't force us to the shower. This little girl that just kind of rejects my expressions of, of love for her all the time. I hope she grows out of this and, and starts receiving some of this. But she just doesn't experience it because every time I try to go near her, she takes off. But I don't force her. You know, how can I sit her down and force this thing? And love is such an unusual thing. It is the only thing that a human being cannot force you to do. human being can force you to take the trash out. Put a gun to your head. Take out the trash. Okay, I'll take out the trash. Get on your knees. Okay, I'll get on my knees. Okay, love me. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so even with that gun pointing at me, it's hard for me to love you. You can't make people love you. The one thing that it's impossible to force a person to do, God commands us to do. He says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. Because it's God who fills us with this very ability. Remember, grace is this thing that it gives us the ability to love Him. The one thing you cannot force upon a person. We have this total inability to force love from a person. He commands us to do toward Him. He commands us to love Him. This is the greatest commandment, Jesus said. You are to love God with all your heart, your strength, and your mind. And the second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. You get these two down, you will do just fine. You want to try to fight yourself into morality? You got these struggles of sin? You want to try to fight this thing? I bet you lose. But if you just learn how to enjoy Jesus Christ, what will happen in your heart is, I don't, I don't want to disappoint my papa. You know, I don't want him to see me acting up. Because you enjoy him, the whole thing comes out of love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would release these young people to enjoy your presence, the love of your presence. Father, that they would enjoy the presence of God. You have given Jesus to those here who know you. You have given them Jesus to enjoy him, to look to him, to follow his example and enjoy him. Father, I pray that they would learn to abide in his love. And through that, have victory over sin. Through that, have victory over the depressions that so get a hold of their hearts. That they would exchange their own lives 
for yours, to live for you. Father, that you would keep them from this serpent of life which is constantly biting and bringing discouragement. That you would deliver them through abiding with Jesus. And Father, I pray for those here who do not know you. Lord, save their souls, I pray, for they have no ability to enjoy the love of God because they are separated. Father, I pray that this very day they would pray, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me because I am a sinner. Father, change their hearts and change their lives for you. For the glory of Jesus. And in his name I pray. Amen.